continuing this morning here in our series in Proverbs, and if you have your uh, sermon note booklet on the book of Proverbs, if you have those and been following along with us, um, this morning we are doing Proverbs 11.21, which is actually the passage that is listed for you on December 6th. Um, I've mixed up the order for these, these next couple weeks. So that's on the, the December 6th date is the sermon that we have here today. Over the last several weeks, we have been diving into the wisdom that Proverbs calls us to, and the wisdom that Proverbs calls us to live and to express in various areas of our lives, such as in our money, the way that we speak, speaking words of life, not words of death, giving words of counsel, how we're called to live manifest righteousness in our workplace. What we're going to do here this morning is I want us to pause this week and take a bit of a bigger picture for us to step out of the nitty-gritty that we have been in over the past couple weeks and the nitty-gritty that we'll get into in the upcoming weeks as we look at uh, marriage and as we look at parenting and children and as we look at um, sexuality in the upcoming weeks. What we want to do is pause from those in-depth applications and to take a step back and to look at the journey that we are on and to look at uh, the journey that we are on and also the big picture of where it is that the Lord is calling us to operate and to engage in. So let us pray as we ask for God's blessing on his word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do pray for the outpouring of your spirit upon us, that you would teach us your word, that we might see you and fear you and know you more through this, Lord, that your spirit would minister to our souls, that we would turn away from foolishness and turn to living to you and living for you. Lord, we ask that you would bless this time. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had to make the decision, but I really did not know which decision to make. It was over the previous weeks that I had been praying for the Lord to open doors and the Lord to close doors, and it seemed that when it was time to make the decision, there were many doors that were open. And as I looked at the decision that was before me, I had already studied God's word. I knew what I understood of his word to apply. The decisions that were before me, none, none, none of them were contrary to God's word. None of them went against God's word. And I saw how what God has done and the, the application of his grace could be manifested in either one of the decisions before me. And so I was pretty sure that I couldn't make a wrong decision but I was also doubtful that I was going to make the right decision. And I knew, what I, I knew I wasn't afraid of that my decision would be wrong, but I wasn't confident that the decision that I was going to make was actually going to be right. And it was there in that moment of wrestling through this decision and seeking the Lord, and to, to, and seeking the Lord for what I needed to do in that point in time is that I needed something, is that I had God's word, I had his law, I had his scriptures, which God gave me you know, great guidance. I had the, in scripture the historical account of what God has done and the acts of his grace, which have changed my life and continue to do so. I had these things, but in the moment of that decision, I needed something more. I needed something else even. And what I needed at that moment is I needed wisdom. Is I needed wisdom to make the right decision. And so, too, this has probably been the experience in your own life, that you're faced with a decision, and, you, and, and, and the choice that is before you is to make a decision, 
that, that both doors are wide open, and the Lord is calling you to step forward in faith and in relationship with him. It's also something that we see in the Bible. Here in Proverbs, many of which were written by Solomon, deemed to be the wisest man who ever lived prior to Jesus Christ, is that here was Solomon, the second king of Israel. And Solomon had a prophet who was a member of his court, a prophet who could directly tell him the will of God for him. He had a prophet. He also had a priest who was there directly ministering to him to, ins- to help ensure that he was living and acting in accord with the law of God. And yet, despite having those things, when Solomon was coronated, he prayed for something else. And what he prayed for was that God's spirit would have come upon him and bestow on him discernment and understanding and wisdom. Is that he needed something else. He didn't need less than what he than, than the other things, but he needed something to help him make the decisions that were before him day in and day out. And so it is that God has called us to be in an active relationship with him, as Proverbs laid out in the first week that we jumped into this series, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that it is through an active relationship with God, through seeking God, through fearing him, through walking with God, through seeking him, that God makes us into be wise people. And so through this series, we have been seeing how Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, are exactly that. They are Proverbs. They are God's wisdom, the way life usually works. The Proverbs are not rules, they're not guarantees, they're not promises, they're Proverbs. They are what usually happens. But sometimes for us, in the course of decisions, and what makes decisions difficult at times, is we look around us, and we look and we see what Proverbs says, and we see what is supposed to happen, and what usually happens, and we are trying to make sense of when what usually happens doesn't happen. When what usually what is supposed to happen doesn't happen. That the course of, of Proverbs as it's laid out, these things that Proverbs describes, that these are the things that are supposed to happen that usually happen, that sometimes those things just don't happen. So how do we make sense of that? And even how do we make sense of that in our own decisions? Well, to begin with, let's be clear in terms of the way that Proverbs is set up here and the, um, what usually happens. First off, is that the wise, what usually happens is that the wise will reap the benefits of wisdom. Proverbs is set up with this basic cause and effect orientation. The fundamental ordering of the way that God has set up this world is that when we act, that there are our actions have consequences. Sometimes those consequences are positive. Sometimes those consequences are negative. But the orientation of the language in Proverbs is this cause and effect orientation. It is not, hey, if you're a good little boy and girl, God will bless you, God will reward you. That's not the setup. It's this cause and effect dynamic. And yet, in that, what we see in this cause and effect pattern is that the wise will reap the benefits of wisdom. Proverbs 12, 21. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. So too, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. That the Lord's action, what happens is that typically the wise reap the benefits of wisdom, that God, that there is consequences, positive consequences and blessings that come about through the Lord's provision and protection of those who are acting 
with wisdom. Indeed, those benefits, yes, there are spiritual benefits, and yes, there are also tangible benefits, seen in particular in Proverbs 22.4. Proverbs 22.4 says this, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now, the thing that is, there is something a little bit perplexing about this verse, because the way that this verse comes about, and that almost all, all English Bible translations translate this verse, the reward, and this verse continues on. Now, the same people that were on the translation committees that translated those verses, typically what they do is that they then go write commentaries about the Bible. That's the way that this typically works. And so, across the board, all English translations translate this this verse, the reward, and it continues. But if you go to almost every commentary, some of which written by the same people who were on the translation committee that translated this verse, all commentaries say, well, what this verse literally is translated as, it is this. The consequence of humility is the fear of the Lord, wealth, honor, and life. Two things to note here as we get into this. First off is the, the clear delineation of it being a consequence as opposed to an obedience, re, a reward for obedience. But notice the other aspect of it, what flows, is that the consequence of humility, what humility leads to is someone who fears the Lord, that, <coughs> that there are spiritual blessings in the path of wisdom, a relationship with the Lord that humility leads us to, and there are also tangible benefits as well. The consequence of humility is the fear of the Lord, wealth, honor, and life. It's this basic orientation. So too, Proverbs 19, um, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, 7. The orientation here is that the wise will reap the benefits of wisdom, that because God is God, the effect of living in God's world according to God's way is that life flourishes, that there are blessings and positive consequences that flow in God's time and flow in God's way. That when we live life as God designed us to live life and good God designed life to be, there is flourishing all around. And Proverbs describes that flourishing and the tangible consequences of a life lived for the Lord as some of those are long life, health, wealth, that is at least adequate provision, honor, a happy family, peace of mind. And the wisdom of God works because it's the wisdom in which God created the world. It's the warp and woof, the foundation of the created order. And when we act in seeking the Lord, and we act wisely, we are imitating God. And we are operating within the world that God created in the way that he intended it, and it works, and the natural consequence of doing that is that there are benefits and blessings that come from that. So too, those that rebel against that, what usually happens is that the fool, thank you, the fool will reap the consequences of their foolery. Proverbs 28, 18. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for the lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. And we hear these verses, and we say, well, yes, that's the way it should be. That when someone does evil, they should fall in the trap of their own evil and their own wickedness. Like, right, that's what should happen. The fool 
will reap the consequences of their foolery. And the fool is the one whose heart is set against God, who is determined to live life on their own terms and determined to go their own way. And we hear these things, and then Proverbs describes what is the consequence of wickedness, the consequence of being a fool, the consequence of living life on your own terms are calamity, sudden reversal of fortune, dishonor, frustration, life with a guilty conscience. And we see these things laid out in Proverbs as this is what usually happens. But sometimes it appears that things get reversed. Sometimes it seems that the consequences of the righteous are bestowed upon the wicked, and the consequences of the wickedness is actually bestowed upon the righteous. For example, Proverbs 13, 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Remember here that the poor here are the poor of the covenant community. These are poor believers. And what happens to them is that the created order has enough wealth in it that they could farm their land and not be poor, but injustice comes upon them and it sweeps away the wealth that they had and they're left in poverty. So too, the, the extremes of life, which is elucidated in the book of Ecclesiastes, also written by Solomon, says, in my life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Well, that seems backwards, doesn't it? He reiterates it. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity, he writes in Ecclesiastes. Now, it would seem to us, or at least seem to me, that if this world operated, or if God ran this world, on a bit more of the immediate cause and effect, that there would be a lot more people who would follow the Lord. That if this world ran, it seems to me, on a bit more of if someone does something wrong, kashwal, and if someone does something right, that there is a blessing. Like it would seem to me, in my mind, that more people would turn to the Lord and follow him if that were the case. Well, we look at this and we look around at the injustice in our world and we see these and see Proverbs, what usually happens, and it does beg the question of us asking, well, where is the payback for the wicked? Why does it that sin does pay sometimes, it seems? Why is it that there are sinful people who are prosperous and successful and who, are, who have blessings in their life, not despite of their sin, but because of their sin? That doesn't seem to fit with what Proverbs is saying, does it not? And Scripture makes clear that, yes, there is this incomprehensibility about life and God's mysterious providence in the way that he works out these situations. And Proverbs gives us guidance, more particularly, on how we are to respond when what usually happens, as described in the rest of Proverbs, how we are to respond when what usually happens doesn't happen. How are we to respond when maybe the extremes or the anomalies of life, like what's seen here, is more actually our experience? Four things that Proverbs that, that we'll look at here this morning. First off is this. What ha how do we respond when what usually happens doesn't happen? Number one is don't envy the exceptions. It's to know that those who are the exceptions to the rule are the exception to the rule. Envy is admiration combined with resentment. Envy is admiration. I want what they have. I want the esteem and honor that they have. And I don't think they should have it. 
or at least I think I should have it. I want it, and I should have it, and they shouldn't. That equals envy, admiration, admiration plus resentment. And so two passages in Proverbs, fret not because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Also, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the days. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs here, this verse, lays out the antidote to envy, is that when you are admiring and uh, desiring what somebody else has and being resentful of it, what Proverbs says here, don't envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord. That is, take your eyes up off of the situation to God and focus your eyes on the future. Take your eyes up and take them ahead. Look at who God is and look ahead to the future. Have these things in an eternal view. Why? Because appearances are deceiving. That the present security, the present prosperity with which some have or seem to have is an illusion. That our contentment and our joy is firmly rooted in the Lord, that he is our hope, he is our security, he is our joy. And so instead of envy, we should have compassion. Because ahead of these other people who we might envy is darkness and despair. Don't envy the exception. Secondly, don't pass judgment on the, un on the unfortunate. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. What he's saying is don't say, don't pass judgment. Don't pass judgment and say, well, serves them right. Well, I'm glad that finally happened to them. They were long due. Don't delight and calamity upon other people, or, the, or judgment even upon other people. This is seen further when the scripture tells us not only to not pass judgment, but also don't take justice into your own hands. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Proverbs 20, 22. What's being said in this verse, I will, when it says, do not say, I will repay evil, but wait for the Lord and he will deliver you, it's not advocating pacifism here. But what it is advocating is that you don't exact justice on your own terms and in your own way. That you appeal to an authority, and if that authority is corrupt and doesn't act on it, you entrust yourself to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is the one who will deliver you. Do not take it upon yourself. And in fact, to have compassion on these others is to show that compassion and demonstrate it. Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals in his head, and the Lord will reward you. Why? We see this, this passage in this, this orientation that God gives. Don't take justice into your own hand. God says, I'm going to take care of it. I'll deliver you, and I'll take care of the injustice. We see this. We see this orientation in Proverbs. We see how we're supposed to be kind to our enemies, and yet we look at these things, we hear this calling, and we look at our world and we look around and we say, well, why is there so much injustice? Why is it that the wicked are allowed to continue? Why is it that ISIL is allowed to you know, behead a third American as they did yesterday? Why is that allowed to continue? Where is this act of God's retributive justice to come down and to stop that? I mean, if Proverbs is saying this is the way that it's supposed to be, and if God's saying that he's going to deliver us and he's going to take care of us, what's going on here? How can this be allowed to continue? And scripture gives a very clear answer to this. 
And to see this, let's, let's remember how in the Old Testament we see these stories, and actually in the New Testament of well, as well, we see these stories of God's immediate retributive justice. That someone sins against the Lord and the ground opens up and swallows them and their family. Gone, right? We see stories of um, you know, people who are mocking God's prophet and she-bears come out and maul 42 of the youth that are doing that that day, right? We see these stories of God's justice. We see stories of God's judgment being brought upon people for their sin, which is rightly deserved and upon us as well. But this is what Scripture says, and leaping forward here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and this is the answer to it, is that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you hear what's being said here? Is that if you look at the way of God's retributive justice had seen in some, some episodes in Scripture, if you see ex- how extreme the wickedness and the oppression and the injustice is in our globe, and maybe you have seen it in your own life, And you look at that and say, well, why is it that God doesn't just bring about his justice right now? This is the answer. It's because as wicked as that is, as wicked as as, um, aggravating, as aggravating, as uh, energizing, as activating, as the wickedness of this world is to the justice of God, as an affront as the wicked, as much of an affront as the wickedness of this world is to the holiness of God, that God would rightly smite them and us. Why he does not do so now is because his mercy is holding that in check. And his mercy is withholding that. And if you think about how awful, I mean how utterly horrendous. Some of the wickedness and injustice and oppression is in this world and maybe even in your life. How much greater is the mercy of God to not immediately respond to that? And what 2 Peter is arguing here, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of bringing about justice as laid out in Proverbs. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you hear God's mercy here? What Scripture is urging you and inviting you is to stop living in a life of foolishness, trying to make life on your own terms in your own way. To stop living your life set upon God, saying, I've got this figured out. You know, God, I want you here when I'm in a bind, but aside from that, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Do you hear God's mercy? Is that the reason, the only reason why the consequences of your actions, of your foolishness, of your sinfulness, the only reason why the consequences are not immediately felt and greater is because the mercy of God is holding that in check so that you would turn to Jesus Christ and know his mercy and love and grace. And the invitation that is being given here in Scripture, in Proverbs, is that you would turn to Jesus, that you would turn to him and trust in him as the one who takes the punishment that you deserve, the one who has experienced the consequences that you have deserved and he has done so, so that you would have life and life abundant in him, so that you would experience the blessings of life eternal and a life of wisdom that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so until that day comes, as long as God's mercy is holding his justice in check, 
Scripture urges us to not take justice into our own hands, but instead turn and trust in God and in Jesus Christ himself. Fourth, is trust the Lord to make it right in the end. Our fighter verse this week, be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. That phrase there, be assured, is a Hebrew um, idiom. It's a Hebrew idiom that literally means hand-to-hand. Isn't that helpful? Hand-to-hand. An evil person will not go unpunished. Everyone who is arrogant in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Hand-to-hand, he will not go unpunished. What that means is, let's shake on it. You can be assured. Be confident of this. Let's shake hands on, let's shake hands on this one. Be assured. Justice will be done. It will be served. There will be no wrong that is left undone. And it will either be paid for by Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, his perfect sacrifice, there on the cross, that the wrath of God is poured out against him. The consequences for your sin and my sin poured out against him. The consequences for your sin and 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 my sin. In this amazing transaction, is poured out on Jesus Christ. The infinite wrath of God being poured out upon Jesus Christ, God's own Son, God himself, being poured out upon him so that we could have life abundant. And that consequence will either be paid for by Jesus or you will be paying for it in eternity forever by yourself. And what Scripture is calling you is to turn from the path of foolishness and destruction to turn to the path of righteousness and life, which which comes through a relationship in Jesus Christ. Because the wicked will not go unpunished. So too, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. That yes, righteousness delivers from death and delivers you a relationship with God, the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ delivers you from death and delivers you to eternal life, and there are blessings of that life right now. Now, as we have been going through Proverbs, something that might have disturbed you is that these Proverbs are Proverbs, in that you want something more. That you don't want them to be Proverbs, you want them to be a guarantee about life. That if I do this, if I fear the Lord, and if I honor the Lord, that I am guaranteed to get this certain result. And what Proverbs says is, well, yeah, that should happen. Yeah, if you live your life in fear of the Lord, yeah, you should, you should be blessed. That should happen. That's what, that's what should go on. And you hear this and you say, well, wait a second. I'm not sure if I like that. I, I want it to be guaranteed that if I do this, then that's going to be the result, that I want it to be certain. I want it to be a rule. I want it to be a guarantee. And because of this little bit of uncertainty in the midst of it, part of your mind might be thinking, you know what, maybe I can figure this thing out. At least maybe in this decision, maybe in the situation in which I'm dealing with right now, maybe I can beat the system. You know, maybe it's possible for me to actually not do what Proverbs says, not do what Scripture says, and actually come out ahead and I might be okay. Is it possible? Well, yes, it is possible, theoretically. It's kind of possible, like it's theoretically possible for you to spend your entire paycheck on slot machines every week and do that for a year and come out ahead. It is theoretically possible, but nobody does it. It never happens. And what's being laid out here is that in the end, the wise 
will be blessed and justice will be served. And the question for us is which one are you going to set your hope? Upon which one are you going to trust? Which one are you going to choose to be the case? Which life are you going to choose? The one that is seeking to live life on your own terms in your own way or a life that is set upon God in the course of righteousness and wisdom and the blessings that come with that? Do you hear what Proverbs is doing? It is inviting you to become wise, inviting you to trust in the Lord, that wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. And if you seek wisdom, you are seeking the Lord. And if you seek the Lord, you gain wisdom. And God has given us Proverbs for the decisions that we face in this life. That Proverbs are there to strengthen us, to help us press on, to to not give up, to give encouragement to fearlessness and confident living so that we would live life in an active and a dynamic relationship with God. That in our relationship with God, that our relationship with him is actually that, an active and dynamic relationship that is not a robotic transaction. If you do this, you get this. If you do this, then you get this. If you do this, this is the way it goes. God says, no, I want you to know me. I'm not a robot. I'm not a vending machine that you put your money in and you get out what you want. What I want with you is a relationship with you that you would know God and live in that dynamic relationship. And accordingly, God has given us Proverbs because he has set up life, that life isn't a formula. And the righteous walk by faith. What does that mean? It means that the righteous don't know specifically how it's going to turn out. They don't know that. They're not guaranteed about that. But what they do know is that God is faithful. And because God is faithful and because he is loving and he is good and because he is God, we should fear him and trust him and love him and walk with him. And when we do so, the righteous know that you will grow wise and you will be blessed. So let us fear the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, I praise you that you don't treat us like a formula, but that you, God, are a real and personal God and you want a real and personal relationship with us. Lord, that you don't set up life as a bunch of hoops to be jumped through, as a bunch of games to be played, but you set up life to be in a relationship with you in which our joy, our security, our peace, our hope, our confidence, our purpose, our identity, our worth, our value, our significance, our dignity is found in you. Lord, help us to know you and to fear you and to love you that your wisdom would be manifest in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.